You're listening to Nightlight Radio Network. This is Dr. Bob Hieronymus, co-host of 21st Century Radio. We are happy to present this rebroadcast of our show on Nightlight. Tonight, we are offering you a channeled guide to the transition between life and death. We're going to learn how to prepare for the wonders of the afterlife through this book, The Luminous Landscape of the Afterlife, by our guest, Dr. Matt McKay, or Matthew McKay. There is no better source of information on death and the afterlife than someone who has died and lives in spirit. Matt McKay has channeled his deceased son, Jordan, to reveal his post-death guide and roadmap for the afterlife. Jordan shows how death is a fluid realm of imagination and invention, a luminous landscape created entirely of consciousness. He explains how a soul that has newly crossed over is an amnesiac and details how to navigate without a body, how we learn and grow in the spirit world, and how to release anxiety about the end of life. We will learn that the inferno described by Dante is an optional nightmare caused by thought projections. This book provides a profound relief from the fear of death as well as exercises to prepare you for navigating and communicating in spirit. Ultimately, Jordan's message reveals how love is the bonding element that holds all of consciousness and the afterlife together. Now, you've probably heard that five billion times here on 21st Century Radio, but that's the kind of stuff that we enjoy very much. Dr. Matt McKay is a clinical psychologist, professor of psychology at the Wright Institute, co-founder of Haight-Ashbury Psychological Services, founder of the Berkeley CBT Clinic, and co-founder of the Bay Area Area Trauma Recovery Clinic, which serves low-income clients, and he has authored and co-authored more than 40 books 40 books, that's quite a number, including the Relaxation and Stress Reduction Workbook and Seeking Jordan, the publisher of New Harbinger Publications, and he lives in Berkeley, California. Welcome back to 21st Century Radio, Dr. Matt McKay. Thank you very much for having me. Well, I used the word channeling in my introduction to explain where this information about the afterlife came from. Let's let's begin with a definition of channeling for our listeners and how did you learn to do it? Well, channeling is the ability to connect uh, to the other side and it's a it, it turns out that you don't have to be psychic, you don't have to be clairaudient to be able to channel to entities uh, who have passed, or even entities that live on the other side who have never incarnated. The ability to channel is actually something that almost everyone can do. This is hard to believe in a way, because we think this is the realm of psychics and mediums, uh, people who go into some kind of trance and 
uh, altered state that permits channeling. But in fact, uh, it's something that anyone can do. Uh, I was taught how to channel by the late Ralph Messner, who was a very um, famous uh, uh, specialist in in post-death communication and uh, being able to, to reach across the veil to the afterlife. And um, he taught me how to do it. And in fact, if your listeners would like to learn, I could probably in five or six minutes uh, teach all of you how. Uh, I went home after he laid out the basic process, and the very first time I tried, I was able to reach Jordan, and, and for the first time after his death, begin a real conversation, a back and forth, in which I could ask questions and get answers, a really beautiful moment in my life. And so channeling is something that is, is available to everyone. It's no special talent that's needed. How did you initially make contact with your son, Jordan, after his death? Well, as anyone can imagine, uh, after losing a child, there's just this tremendous need to know, does that, does my child still exist, and um, are they okay? Jordan, uh, more than 12 years ago, uh, was murdered by people who apparently saw him riding his bike home from work and decided they wanted his bike, and there was a tremendous fight. He died. Uh, and after that, I was just consumed by the hope that somehow I could make contact with him. And, the, and of course, I tried various you know, mediums. And, but the problem with mediums is that uh, they're reporting to you what uh, they experience your loved one saying, but you're not hearing it, you're not experiencing it directly. And eventually, I became interested in something called induced after-death communication, something that a psychologist named Alan Botkin discovered using a, um, a technique that I use with traumatized clients it's called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And he's made a small inadvertent change in the protocol with a a vet who had lost a, a child that he was planning to adopt in Vietnam. A child died in his arms. He never really got over it. Mm -hmm. Bakken did this procedure just to help him with the trauma. But to his surprise, the vet actually had a direct communication with that child, heard her, saw her, uh, and was overwhelmed with the authenticity of that. And as a result, uh, his trauma disappeared. The, the, the loss, the pain, um, the grief just disappeared. So I went to Seabotkin in Chicago uh, and had that experience, and it was extraordinary. I, I could hear Jordan. Uh, he, I could hear his voice. He was directly talking to me. And he had some very important things to say, things that I needed to hear, you know, that he loved me, that he was watching over me, that he was in a good place. All the things I needed to hear, he was telling me. And uh, it was a profound experience, and it did uh, lighten the, this, this weight of grief that I had been struggling with. So that was the, the first time I ever connected in a way that I really felt his presence, uh, and, and I could hear him directly. 
and then later learned how to channel and could have actual conversations. Well, this is hap- this is uh, probably, in my opinion, the most important book we've done over the last 35 years that we've been on the air because it's such an important area that it's been abused and misunderstood by many who wanted to make a buck on this this aspect of it. And that's one of the reasons why we felt uh, that it was important for not only our listeners, but my friends at Johns Hopkins University, where I've done murals for, um, I wanted to make sure that we could educate not only some of the professors, but the students there. And that's one of the reasons why I thought buying a uh, as many books as from you, not from you, from, from your publisher as possible. Uh, uh, I don't know if they call them a box or whatever it is, but we sure would like to have about a hundred of them because there's so many people that have never heard of this in here on the East Coast. And uh, this would be such a benefit for them. We don't sell books. I mean, we sell our books, but we don't, we're, not, we're not interested in selling these books to these people. We know that they've known me long enough that if we give them something, these professors will read it because I, I think they love this kind of area, mainly because they don't know anything else about it at all. I had to mention that before we got into any other talking because you've done an extraordinary job, and I'm sure you've heard it a billion times, right? I really appreciate you saying that, and uh, it it warms my heart. Thank you. Well, you have a bigger heart than I do with the kind of things that you have been accomplishing with, with other people, and especially the fact that you had the courage to come out and do this. Good Lord, this is fantastic. Um, I cried. I cried when my wife told me about this uh, book because she was the one that introduced me to your work because she interviewed, uh, interviewed you a couple of years ago. And uh, it's just extraordinary how some people's hearts can uh, move them to the point where they really make a big change in the world. This could, you know that, Max, Matt, this can really change a lot of people's fear. And that's exactly what the thing I kind of emphasize because I know so many people that are dying now. Um, and that's wonderful for me to be able to say, hey, if you're, to their, their family, hey, if you're passing on, take a look at this. Boy, what a good feeling that is to be able to handle hand someone something like that because it means that, that they'll pass it on to others. Wow. Anyway, I'm sorry. We'll get on to other questions now. Now, well, I, I really appreciate that because that's exactly why Jordan said he wanted to write the book. He, he actually outlined it in the less than five minutes, and he, and he said, this is, this is what we want to cover, and the reason this is important and the reason I want he, Jordan, wanted to do the book was because how overwhelming the fear of death is and, uh, and that that fear can be greatly uh, softened and healed. Uh, and that we can prepare for death in ways that make the transition uh, some, something that we can embrace as opposed to um, uh, approach with, with terror and trembling. Yeah. Well, what did you learn about the spirit world, life after death, from Jordan? Life after death. 
Well, first of all, the the life after death is um, is a, we, we arrive at at something that Jordan calls the landing place, which is just a, an ante room to the spirit world. And in that ante room, uh, uh, we it's it's a, pl- a place where we're uh, it's prepared for us. We are given images that are familiar, that come from the, our planet of origin, that make us feel safe and comfortable and welcomed. Um, but these in- images are just energy. They're not matter. Uh, and they're created for our comfort and to help us with the transition. So in that anteroom, the landing place, um, we are greeted by guides and very, very frequently loved ones who have who have gone before us, but often even loved ones who are still incarnate uh, because part of their energy and, sp- and spiritual energy continues to live in the afterlife, and they are actually available to visit with us even uh, at the moment of death, even though they still are incarnate. So it, the landing place is a place where we are greeted with love, we're welcomed, we are, and the, and the transition is softened because we arrive... Uh, without a nervous system, we arrive experiencing, uh, instead of uh, looking directly ahead with our eyes, we, we experience everything 360. Instead of hearing words, we experience communication telepathically. And the, and the means of communication is love. Uh, in the same way that uh, Jordan tells me, in the same way that Air on Earth is 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 sustains life, but also is how we communicate because we create sounds that vibrate air molecules. Um, love is is the medium through which all communication takes place in the afterworld. And the thing that's really important about that is that if you cannot hear love, if you arrive at the landing place, deaf to love, and he calls this DOA, deaf on arrival. Um, then you actually um, are going to have to go through some additional transitions uh, and and healing. Uh, it's, it's essential that we be able to hear, see, experience love uh, upon landing, uh, because if we can't, uh, we are going to have to go through um, special healing bardos where we're prepared for the afterlife. So, so that's the, the first step. We arrive at the landing place. Well, we're at a landing place right now. We <laughs> we got to take a break, Mac. And uh, our our guest, by the way, friends, is Dr. Matthew McKay, uh, a food, the luminous landscape of the afterlife. Jordan's message to the living on what to expect after death. Park Street Press, uh, seekingjordan.com. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Ellie Flippin, niece of the late psychic, visionary, artist, and extraordinary individual, Ingo Swan. You can learn more about his archives, his paintings, and his books at ingoswan.com. You are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and this is 21st Century Radio. Let's return now to our interview. We were talking about uh, love and being a Rosicrucian, about 40 years ago, we were all taught love is the cohesive force of the universe. And we were talking about 
what you learned about the spiritual world after death from Jordan. And I think you're getting ready to talk about the Bardo. Yeah, the problem is that um, when we arrive in the landing place, we often bring a lot of residual emotions uh, that we carried uh, from our most immediate incarnation. We may be bringing anger, fear, uh, deep sense of loss or despair. Uh, souls arrive at the landing place who've attempted or committed suicide. A lot of, a lot of sadness, a lot of despair. So souls arrive at the landing place in many cases really struggling with overwhelming emotions, and those can't enter the spirit world. Those have to be processed and worked through. The other thing that happens in the, in the landing place is that we, you know, whatever we think, we can actually project into very realistic-looking images. And Jordan described that uh, when he arrived at the landing place, that he, um, whatever, whatever he imagined or thought about, he literally started to see. Yeah. Uh, guides encouraged him to create an image that was calming and peaceful. He began to think about the Yosemite Valley, which he loves, and uh, and he could see that it, it actually you know materialized in front of him. But then he started thinking about elephants, and suddenly he had elephants in Yosemite Valley. And then he started thinking about uh, you know 3D monsters, and he had elephants and monsters fighting. So it, this is just an example that when you know whatever we think, whatever we imagine, whatever uh, thoughts we we uh, engage in can project and as energy forms that look very real to us. So that's another thing that happens to us in the landing place. And so we're, we, we may essentially be hallucinating. Uh, and all of that calms down when we can listen to love, when we can hear guides communicate to us. They calm us, they support us, uh, they orient us. But in situations where that doesn't happen immediately, uh, where souls, again, are struggling with, overwhelming emotions. In some cases, they don't even know they're dead, uh, or they are dealing with hallucinatory experiences that they're having difficulty controlling or, or recognizing as just uh, images. Uh, so they may go to special uh, bardos. And the, the one that immediately often occurs is something called the healing place, where souls, it looks kind of like an open-air hospital where souls are kind of reclining uh, and uh, and apparently sleeping, but meanwhile they're they're being administered to by guides who drop new images in, who um, who help titrate some of the intense and overwhelming emotions that they're feeling. Uh, and in the healing place, a lot of important emotional work is done. A lot of processing is done of leftover struggles with a particular life. Uh, but there are other bardos as well, bardos that may, where, where souls may actually go to live out certain uh, scenarios, uh, uh, certain uh, narratives. Uh, souls who have been very angry and, and felt victimized may end up in bardos where guides create scenarios, cre create a narrative in which the soul struggles with victimization, uh, but gradually overcomes it, gradually resolves it. Uh, and and the storyline eventually ends in the soul um, sort of being redeemed from victimization. But these, 
these bardos are are not places of punishment. They're not places where we're we're banished or sent to suffer. They are just places where guides help us resolve so far unresolved emotions and uh, and belief systems. Sometimes souls arrive uh, with expectations. They expect a certain kind of heaven, a certain kind of experience. And it's not there. It's not what it's not what what actually exists. And they're hallucinating something, uh, expecting something. And so they often have to uh, go to Bardo's, where these beliefs and expectations are slowly resolved and worked through with the help of guides. So there's just a lot of um, work that's done in this ante room, in this in this in this preparation place before fully uh, admit full admittance to the spirit world. Well, how does Jordan in a luminous landscape of the afterlife describe the purpose of life on Earth? Now, I, there are some, there are so many important things in this book, but just learning the purpose of life to me seems to be extraordinary. If most people knew that or that within themselves, what a different world! Well, what a different country we'd have for sure. But the uh, life on Earth and the lesson plan souls incarnate to learn what can you tell us about that sir yeah that's it's meant a great deal to me to learn that from jordan that the purpose of life the purpose of incarnation why souls come to these very diverse planets on which we incarnate uh is only for one purpose and that is to learn uh, individual souls enter physical existence in order to learn things that only a physical existence can teach. Uh, in the spirit world, love is automatic. Love is everywhere. Love surrounds us. Love fills us. Love connects us. And 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 love love is essentially effortless. It's 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 there as a defining part of our existence. But to learn how to love. With, with resistance and in the face of pain is really why we mm-hmm. come to a physical existence, to a physical planet. Uh, so we, we come here to learn, and the, the chief lesson among the things we are learning is, is how to love uh, in, in the face of pain and in spite of pain. Uh, so pain is, is not a bad thing. Uh, we think of it as something that we ought to, you know, we just should avoid it at all costs. There's something wrong with us if we're in pain. We failed in some way if we're in pain. But actually souls incarnate in order to encounter painful experiences because it's from those painful experiences that the learning takes place. And so souls incarnate with a lesson plan. Um, it's a particular lesson plan for each soul. There's particular things that each soul is working on and developing and growing and then there's an overarching lesson about love in the face of pain. So we come here to learn. And the thing that Jordan has said to me that has meant so much to me is that, you know, we are evolving, each soul is evolving. But our work is to help God or all or all it is, a collective consciousness, whatever we wish to call it, that. God and collective consciousness is evolving as well, uh, evolving, growing, changing. And all, everything we learn, which is this, this sacred uh, quest that we enter life uh, 
to, to do. We, we, we enter each individual incarnation to learn, and all of what we learn, we upload and give to all of consciousness. So all of consciousness continues to evolve from each individual life and each individual lesson that we as souls uh, experience and encounter uh, in the planets where we incarnate. Well, why is there so much pain in life, according to Jordan? Well, pain is how we learn. Um, for example, we start to form relationships, and um, and we 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 seek not to be alone. We seek to connect, and we begin to form relationships. But but we often engage in in relationship formation. We we build relationships uh, using strategies that actually don't work. And how we learn that they don't work is that we experience pain. The other person uh, pulls away or uh, rejects us or um, or or begins to uh, disengage or uh, or may um, may somehow um, convey to us displeasure. The idea here is that the lessons we're learning as we as in this particular situation as we as we build relationships can only be learned by experiencing something that doesn't work, experiencing failure and experiencing pain. Mm -hmm. That that is how the lessons get learned. And all the pain that we experience in relationship is is to teach us how to love. Yeah. That's what that's what we're learning. Every single relationship and every single hurt and struggle we face in each relationship is about that one thing, learning how to love. But what happens immediately after death? Does it vary from different individuals? And, and what is the post-death landing place? Oh, we touched on that, so we got. But you can also bring that into it if you want, want to. Well, I could go a little further with that. Uh, yes, there's the whole, there's the post-death landing place, the, the, the healing place, the bardas, where we prepare finally to enter the world of spirit. But once we're inside, the very, very first step or stop in the world of spirit, uh, we are taken to a place of life review. Oh. Uh, and, and every soul has to, has to face that. And it can be very arduous, depending on uh, what kind of life you lived. But what's, what's important about the life review is that it's not done from a a perspective of judgment. Uh, you're not being punished. You're not mm -hmm. being uh, held up for contempt or uh, disgust because of the choices that you made. Uh, instead, what you experience is everything you did, every choice you made, even on the, on the smallest macro, micro level, uh, you experience it not only as you experience it, but as everyone around you experienced that choice. How did that choice affect every single soul that surrounded you, not only at that moment, but over time. So everything you did, you're experiencing it in this very strange 3D fashion where you are experiencing it as yourself and also as everyone else, and you're experiencing it as they, as they felt it, uh, as it impacted them, not just at the moment, but over time. So, I mean, just an example, let's say a parent who who did um, 
behave with anger and, 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 and abusive reactions to a child. Um, that, that parent, on, on passing into the spirit world and on um, entering this life review process, would have to experience everything their child experienced. Mm. Mm. And every feeling, every, every fear, every, uh, every hurt, every, every sense of, of, of you know, def- the child's sense of defectiveness and, and failure, every, all of those feelings, that soul would have to experience, not only at the moment that, they, that, that pain was inflicted, but how that child was affected over an entire lifetime Whoa. by those choices and behaviors. Mm. So you can see this is a very serious experience. Yeah. Again, it's not punishment. It's not an attempt to uh, you know, hurt the soul, but it's a learning experience that is, is, is the first stop, the first step, and an unavoidable process on first entering the world of spirit. We got a break? Oh, my boss just told me we got to take a break, Mac. Uh, so we're going to have to do that because he'll uh, punch me in the nose if I don't. We'll, we'll be back with our guest, Matthew McKay, Dr. Matthew McKay. The luminous landscape of the afterlife, Jordan's message to the living, what to expect after death. Park Street Press. We'll be right back. Hello, this is Professor Joy Porter, author of Land and Spirit in Native America, which is available on Amazon.com. You are listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus. We are back on 21st Century Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and we'll return now to our guest. We're talking about his incredible book. Well, actually, I guess you might say he's sharing this book with his son. Is that, is that more correct, Dr. Matt? That's exactly right. Okay. Essentially, Jordan wrote the book. I was the scribe who heard what he said and wrote it down. Just like in old Egypt, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Probably so. Now, are there after-death bardos who, where souls struggle as depicted in the Egyptian and Tibetan books of the dead? According to Jordan, that's absolutely not the case. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are not, there are no bardos where souls are um, left to suffer, where they are judged, their hearts are weighed, uh, where they uh, end up being banished. Um, the only uh, exception to that is souls who've committed great evil uh, in a particular lifetime. Here again, they they aren't judged, they aren't rejected for that, uh, but. Uh, they may need to go through a, a real purification process where their soul energy is, is, is remodeled, is really uh, this very damaged soul energy is worked on, and, and it may take a while. Uh, but then, of course, once they enter the spirit world, they have to go through that process of uh, life review. And there are some souls who have committed such extraordinary evil that they are afraid they are unwilling to go through life review it is too overwhelmingly uh, fearful for them uh, so these souls continue to kind of live in a in a, a bit of a twilight zone uh, they're not being tortured they're not punished uh, but they can't enter the spirit world they on some level they have to live a level uh, a degree of isolation uh, they don't have 
love inside of them. And so again, they, they were deaf. They would not be able to function in the spirit world. They can't hear love. They can't experience it. Uh, and so they end up uh, living a degree of isolation until and if they are willing to go through life review. Mm-hmm. But they can postpone that for some time, you mentioned. Is that right? That's exactly right. They could postpone it literally forever. <laughs> uh, or they may reach a certain point where, of healing where they are ready to, to really examine and, um, mm-hmm. and re-experience the life just lived. Well, the luminous landscape of the afterlife describes life in our in our soul groups. What are soul groups, and what part do they play in the afterlife? Well, soul groups are our spiritual family. Uh, soul groups usually uh, involve you know somewhere between six and twenty souls, and and these souls have been together since since they were created. Uh, they, they 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 live in this family, and they have these very deep and profound relationships to each other. And and what makes the relationship so profound is that they learn together. The soul group is basically um, a a classroom where uh, guides uh, help and and uh, encourage learning uh, for for each member of the soul group. But, the, but even more important than that, soul groups incarnate together. Uh, they very frequently will enter the uh, world at a particular geographic place, a particular point in history, uh, 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 and, and enter the and incarnate in environments where they are likely to have connections to each other in life. And, and so you might think of a soul group as a little repertory company that it keeps incarnating into a new play, a new life play. And, and, and in each incarnation, their relationships to each other may be very different. In one, in one incarnation, uh, t- uh, two members of a soul group may be uh, teacher-pupil, uh, and, uh, and another one father-son, and another one they may be lovers and, uh, and uh, romantic partners. Uh, in, in another, they may be adversaries. And so the relationships change very often with each new incarnation, but it's the same soul group entering life and earth time at the, at a, at a same point so that they can connect to each other and learn from their relationships to each other in this next play that they've agreed uh, to be in. So it's a, the soul group has really important functions, and, and it really is uh, where we feel safest. It's where we feel loved. It's where we are most known and understood. Uh, one of the things about, about souls is that we're, we're pretty transparent in the spirit world. Uh, we can kind of see into each other, and we can also merge with each other. On Earth, the, the closest we can get to merging is having uh, intercourse and sex, um, but in the spirit world, souls can literally uh, um, merge their energy and experience each other in very profound ways. So there's uh, souls have, and particularly souls and soul groups, have extraordinary knowledge of each other. And so, and there's two, some things that are important about this knowledge. They see each other uh, very, very profoundly, and they love each other. So you have this experience in the soul group of being seen and being known. 
and being loved at the same time. So it's a very, these are very beautiful relationships. And of course, there are nearby soul groups that are, you, you could think of the, each soul group as being, you know, a family that lives in a house, and there are nearby soul groups that live in other houses in the neighborhood. Uh, and and over many, many lifetimes, we get to know souls sometimes in remote and very distant soul groups because we've connected in a very profound way in a particular lifetime. So our relationships build over time and over many lifetimes, but our primary relationships the ones that are deepest and um, where most of our, much of our learning takes place is with our soul group. Wow, thank you. Uh, can anyone learn to channel loved ones on the other side? And if so, what are the steps to channeling? Okay. I'm really glad you asked that because uh, I think it's such an important thing to learn how to do. Uh, I have clients, you know, I'm a clinical psychologist, over the years, I've had many clients who struggle with profound grief and loss, and I have taught them how to channel. And it's, and it's, it's life-changing because they learn that the relationship has not ended. It's not been severed in death. This relationship continues. The love continues. It's still there. And the possibility, the, the opportunity uh, to communicate exists. Uh, regardless of whether one soul is still incarnate and the other is on the other side. So how do you do it? Um, The first thing uh, that Ralph taught me is that uh, you should get a comfortable place, and and, and, channeling is helped by ritual, so you try to do it in the same place if possible, a place that's comfortable, a place you feel safe. Um, Then you need something that ideally connects you to the loved one, some some kind of object that that loved one may have given you uh, or may have belonged to your loved one. Um, But this particular uh, object is something that you you use and you get out uh, intentionally at the beginning of a channeling exercise. Um, The next thing you need is, is something for eye fixation, something to hold your attention and keep your eyes fixed. Candles work really well. Uh, and sometimes it's nice to have a candle that has a special base that's beautiful or somehow represents uh, something about uh, the divine or the spirit world to you. Um, I have a candle base that has a, a, a sun on it uh, that seems to uh, be very meaningful to me. So again, a candle for eye fixation. Um, then the next thing you want to do is... Um, by the way, it's important, I think, to, to do uh, the communications, at least in the beginning, in written form, so that you're going to write out your question to your loved one, yeah. and you're going to write out uh, the answers that you get. So have a, have a notebook ready uh, for the communication. And it's something that's meant a lot to me, because I have many notebooks of things that Jordan mm-hmm. talked, told me, and I have these to look at and review and remember, um, and, and it's really, really meaningful to to have records of these conversations. So now it's time to get into an altered state. There are quite a number of ways to get into an altered state, but the easiest way is just a simple Vipassana meditation where you focus on your breath, you you bring your attention to the part of your body, the diaphragm, where you are uh, powering the breath, 
uh, you say to yourself, in on the in-breath, out on the out-breath, like Thich Nhat Hanh recommends. And so just focusing on the breath and noting the breath in and out. When thoughts arise, just uh, as soon as you notice them, let go of the thought and return your attention to your breath. And so usually I will, I'll count to, uh, for me, uh, I, I'll do in and out, or I'll count to 10 on the out-breath. And maybe 10 or 20 breaths will get me these days into a place where I feel mm-hmm. calm and I can feel the channel mm-hmm. starting to open up. Okay. So that provides the altered state. Uh, Ralph uh, Messer also taught me to use a, a divination where you visualize uh, an orb over maybe six inches above your head, uh, the color of the sun, and you visualize that orb starting to stretch up and up and up infinitely to the spirit world. So it elongates into a tube stretching to the spirit world. And as you visualize that, that is the moment where the channel opens and you can feel the connection start. And when I'm Actually, to Jordan, I usually I can actually sense the the connection starting. I can feel it in my scalp. Uh, sensation uh, tells me that the channel is opening. Um, so you have the altered state. Doing the eye fixation, you visualize the that orb of light turning into a, um, a channel, uh, stretching into the heavens. And at this moment, you can write your first question. And I, I think it's important to really, again, write it and, and, and see the words take place and, and, and form on the page. Write the question, and now just wait. And wait for the... Sometimes you, well, the first thing that shows up is just a sound in your mind, just, just, just a, a, a syllable. Um, but often it'll be just a word. And just whatever it is, write it down. Don't judge it. Don't evaluate it. Don't try to figure out what it means. Just write down what whatever word shows up, and then wait, give it a little time, and another word or two, and finally the sentence will complete. Um, Don't push it. Don't try to make anything happen. Just listen. Listen for the first word and then for the sentence to finally uh, come to an end. Give it a little more time. There may be other sentences. Your loved one may have more to say. Um, If if a little bit of space occurs and nothing more is said, write down your next question. So it's, it's really, on some level, as simple as that. It is not hard to do. Uh, and all you have to do is be patient and try to do it without judgment, without, without you know, saying to yourself, oh, my God, that doesn't make sense, or what does that mean? Or uh, Just write down whatever shows up. After a while, it'll make sense to you. Uh, you don't have to make sense of it right away, and try not to judge it. Just allow whatever happens to happen. we got about one minute left in this uh, segment here. Um, would you like to say anything for about 30 seconds before we take our next well, break? Well, I guess what I'd like to say is, is to talk a little bit about how to deal with the fear of death, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, that, is the, that should be the key of this show tonight. Uh, and we can talk more about it in the next segment, but... I think what's really important for people to know is that you can trust um, that pretty soon, even if you're feeling afraid and you're disconnected from your body and you don't know what's going on, pretty soon this wave of fear will pass. Uh, To know and trust that there are souls who are going to be there to help you. Uh, Everything is going to be done to heal whatever pain, whatever emotional wound, 
items you carry into the transition. You are going to be taken care of. Uh, the, the afterworld is benign. Let's take that up more next hour with our break here on 21st Century Radio with our guest, Dr. Matt McKay. 21st Century Radio is produced by Hieronymus and Company. Our executive producer and research assistant is Laura Cordner. Our engineer is Anita Brockington, and I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus. And we're back. I'm Dr. Bob Hieronymus, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio. Learn more about us at www.21stcenturyradio.com. And I've learned a great deal, and that's just wonderful learning things. I, I get a bit criticized about that all the time because that's all I would love to do is study and read and write and do arithmetics from time to time. But we got someone that really knows their stuff tonight on an area that... I've always wanted to know about Dr. Matthew McKay, Ph.D., or we call FUD, The Luminous Landscape of the Afterlife, Jordan's Message, and Jordan is what's his son, Message to the Living on What to Expect After Death, published by our dear friends at Park Street Press and uh, SeekingJordan.com. Are you with us, Mac? I'm right Matt, here. I'm sorry, I called you Mac. I, I apologize. It seems like I've known you forever. Um, but uh, we were talking about fear of death or starting to move in that direction. Is that correct? Yeah, we were talking a little bit about how to deal with it. And, um, you know, um, we talked a little bit about when we get to the landing place, how we can project images and thoughts and, and, and turn them into essentially hallucinations that can be really disturbing. And and so one of the things that's important to do, uh, you know, shortly after death when we get to the landing place is to be kind of passive. Uh, don't try to figure things out or jump to conclusions or try to figure out what's going on. Um, just wait for the movie to start. The guides will provide images that are healing and comforting uh, and just let them do what they do. Uh, listen for love. Uh, let the, the guys just instruct and provide comfort. Uh, they're going to teach us tele- telepathically, uh, kind of, you know, with not with sounds, but with telepathic communication and images uh, that convey, you know, just a feeling of safety and love. And, and so being passive and just letting the guides do what they do is really important. Not trying to figure anything out, um, and not and to try to focus away from thoughts and images of danger. Um, think of you know what it really helps is to just think of all the souls that you love, particularly ones in spirit. Call their faces to mind and the feeling um, that you have about them. Um, and if you prepare for the afterlife with love. Think about the souls that are there that you love. Communicate to them. Talk to them. Um, you will arrive in the landing place able to hear and connect to them. Uh, and just wait. They'll, they'll be with you. They'll, they'll join you momentarily. So uh, that, that's really, really important. There's a, there's a little um, meditation that helps a lot that Jordan suggests. And basically, it's a meditation of you know, you know, focusing on your breath, and, and then just breathing in love, 
Just breathe with the, the in breath. Just breathe in love, and just breathe out fear. Breathe in love, breathe out fear. And I use that meditation, um, and uh, I have encouraged others to use it. And it's simple, and yet it, it's it creates this very deep sense of peace. Breathing in love, breathing out fear, and that's, that's perhaps one of the best ways we can prepare for the death and and transition. Uh, because again, love is the medium of communication in the afterlife. And if we're breathing in love, we're going to be able to hear immediately uh, what's being uh, conveyed to us. Well, as you mentioned, uh, love. What what is the role of love in the afterlife? How is it different from love on earth? Love on Earth, as as we know, is conditional. Um, we um, we have, you know, it's, a, it's like we we sort of agree to love each other as long as we meet certain conditions and uh, live up to certain expectations. Um, but and and so we can we can lose love, or at least it feels that way. We can lose love. Uh, relationships suddenly disappear. Uh, uh, People we counted on and, and trusted can be lost, um, and so there's this this impermanence that we struggle with here, uh, that that permeates all of our relationships in the afterlife. None of that exists. Mm, no, you never lose anyone. Love between souls continues. It's not conditional. It's not uh, I'll love you as long as you give me what I want and are the person. Or the, you know, the, you, know you, you fulfill my expectations. In the afterlife, that's not how it works. Um, love is is entirely uh, it surrounds us, it connects us, and every soul that we know and are connected to, we experience love for unconditional love for. Uh, the the other thing about love also is that. Um, there's, we do at times merge with all, with all it is, there is a, a collective consciousness, God, whatever we want to call it. Souls can merge for periods of time with all. Uh, and that's a profound experience of love. It's almost like, you know, you know a, a love being poured into you uh, in a way that's, that's, that can be actually overwhelming for souls. And we can only merge with all uh, for relatively short periods of time, particularly when we're early in our development as souls, as we get, uh, as we develop and grow and um, and have many lifetimes, we can afford to merge with all for longer periods, and we can also merge with all in ways that um, where we can start using the experience of merging, merging like like going to a vast library, and we can actually select things that we want to learn about and and focus on particular kinds of knowledge that we can download from, from all. Um, so that the experience of merging becomes more and more important part of our lives as, as we mature as souls, uh, and it is an experience of profound love, knowledge poured into us. So Jordan gives this analogy about merging with all. He says it's like connecting uh, with, a, with a, a, kind of a small gauge wire to this enormous source of electricity. And, and you know, uh, and it doesn't take long 
for that wire to start overheating, and we have to kind of disengage. It can get pretty overwhelming. As soles mature, the gauge of that wire gets thicker and can carry more voltage, and we can stay engaged and stay merging for longer periods of time and continue to download knowledge uh, in this incredibly blissful experience of downloading love and knowledge for longer periods of time. So anyway, that's another thing that we do in the afterlife. It's not just our relationship to our soul group and our guides and all the learning we do. We actually have periods of time of, of merging with all it is. Mm, wow. You know, we've got to send a copy of your book to Sir Paul McCartney. I think he would just love this. He, uh, they, they got a bit into the higher consciousness and other areas, and I think this is the kind of thing that would help him in his life right now. Uh, the chances are, though, uh, we could send it to him, but it, they may not take it. <laughs> that's, that's the way that life is. Because, hey, what do we, we don't need another book. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, you know how that goes. Yeah. Now, what does an average day look like in the afterlife? Well, what do we do up there? Um, well, for one thing, uh, there's an awful lot of learning that takes place. And um, we, we can actually see the entire entirety of human history in the Akashic Record in the afterlife. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we, can, we can look at any place in human history, or depending on which planet we incarnate on, we can look at the history, the entire history of the, the species uh, that we incarnate into on on that given planet. So we can look, and we can look at the whole history of the universe from the from the Big Bang uh, mm. uh -huh. to the to the last uh, light of the last sun. Uh, uh, in terms of looking at what's what's happening in in this particular universe, so we we have access to the Akashic Record, and, and it's on a macro level. But it's also on a micro level. We can look at each moment in a, in, a, in a given life, not just our life, but other lives. And we can learn about how choices get made. And we can learn about something Jordan calls the laws of change, how, things, how, how souls can change the course of events uh, on their particular planet and where they're incarnating. So very interesting stuff. Uh, another thing we do in the afterlife is, is tourism. Uh, we can become discarnate observers of other planets and other uh, experiences uh, in the universe. Uh, we can literally travel there, bringing our soul energy to these places and, and observe in a very careful way um, and monitor in a careful way what's going on. It's one of the things that probably accounts for some of what we experience as aliens on Earth. Uh, that souls show up here and they bring some of their soul energy with them and that energy can be felt uh, and sometimes that energy affects things physically around us. Uh, so, yeah, there's, there's, there's tourism. Um, and um, Tourism in a big way. I mean, you go to different planets. Literally, tourism in a big way. You can go to, to any planet you want, really. Uh, well, I, I shouldn't say it. Is any planet where there are... Um, Hall, no, what do they call uh, they're, 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 well, these, these corridors of light, which is basically it's, it's the interstate highway for the for, <laughs> for, for souls, and, and they only exist to certain places. So you you can look at any moment of history in the in the in the universe, uh, like on a movie screen. But if you're actually going to take your soul energy there, you can, there are only certain corridors that you can do that, and there are certain places that are dead that don't have uh, there. There's no highways or uh, corridors that can take soul souls there, 
but there are many planets that we can visit, we can observe, and 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 we can and we can see events unfolding in real time there. Um, well, another thing that souls do in, in, is that they do a lot of visiting, uh, not just you know this tourism of looking at other plants, but they but they visit souls that they love, uh, and some of these souls can be you know very far away in the spirit world, uh, and yet you know the souls can uh, can visit, can connect, can merge, can have these beautiful moments of of love and connection being seen and known. Um, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of visiting and merging. Uh, it's a lot of creating. Uh, oh, that, I love that when. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're getting, yeah. I'm I mean, ahead of myself it's, it's literally creating sculpture. Yeah. Uh, Jordan does a lot of music in the afterlife, creating sounds, and and blending them in ways that are uniquely beautiful. Um, souls actually um, create uh, healing processes. You know, and 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 you know, develop that. And souls actually, in small groups, are sometimes working on creating new life forms. Uh, so there's a lot of creation, creating that goes on. There's a lot of recreation. Uh, souls engage in games. Um, and um, What kind of games? Well, oddly, there are, there are competitive games where souls, um, uh, you know, try to... Uh, perform something in a, in a way that uh, uh, competes with with other souls. Um, uh, there are games in which energy is is pushed around. Uh, I mean, it's almost like remember that old game, that 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 video game Pong. Uh, well, there, there's ways that souls literally push energy around and direct energy in ways, uh, and then and then other souls will re- will reflect it and bounce it back. It's almost again like pong or oh. some kind of energy-based tennis that that souls use to mm-hmm. to push energy around. Also, souls will create images together, and they and they, they create these extraordinary images. Like Jordan's uh, soul group has live in what he describes as a Victorian, old Victorian farmhouse, and and the, 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 his soul group has created that image together. Uh, and and enjoys it and and makes small adjustments and changes in it and creates more ramifications for it. Um, so there's you know so there's a lot of that going on. Um, one of the things that's really interesting that kind of blew my mind about uh, what souls can do in the afterlife is that they can do multiple things at once. So a soul could be uh, engaged in tourism. Could be, actually have. Uh, traveled, brought some of his soul energy to a, uh, another planet, be observing it. At the same time, they might be visiting with another soul in in the spirit world and actually engaging in conversation. And they might actually be connecting to, to, to a soul who's incarnate and having a conversation there. Uh, mm. Or they may, might be making some music. They could be doing three or four or five different things simultaneously. So it's very interesting how we can divide our soul energy. And it it's also... It makes sense too because uh, we divide our soul energy when we incarnate. We some of our soul energy enters a, a body and uh, and and helps you know you know make decisions and figure out how to, how to live our lives. But some of our soul energy remains behind always in the spirit world. So there's, we're always living with a certain amount of divided energy, uh, and we can do that in other ways. We can be making music. We can be visiting. We can be. Uh, 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 merging 
with another soul. Uh, we can be creating something. So we can do a number of things simultaneously. It's very interesting that souls have that capacity. Multitasking galore. And, yeah. and not just, oh, we got to take a break, but that's very exciting to be able to multitasking galore. I'm not a multitasker. <laughs> I make the attempt. Well, but... there's, there's going to come a day that you'll be able to do it. <laughs> okay, sir. I, I hope so, because I'm going to need to with this particular schedule. Um, okay, friends, we're going to take our break here on 21st Century Radio with our guest, Dr. Matthew McKay, Ph.D., The Luminous Landscape of the Afterlife, Jordan's Message to the Living on What to Expect After Death, Park Street Press. We'll return right after this. This is Dr. Sally Ryan Feather, the daughter of Dr. J.B. and Louisa Ryan that started the ESP research at Duke University. And I have just appeared on the Bob Hieronymus show. And I think this kind of radio does so much for the public. It brings them information where they can get no other way. And we're back. Now let's return to our program. Do we see loved ones after death? Absolutely. And that's maybe the most important thing, I think, that Jordan wants everyone to know, um, is not only do we see loved ones after death, but we are always together. The living and the dead are always together. Um, We are always together and part of the whole. We're always united with love. Love doesn't die. Once you love a soul, whether they're whether they remain incarnated for a while or whether they pass over, that love continues. It is untouched by death. And so, of course, when we pass over, we're going to see loved ones, and including loved ones that still may be incarnate, because as I said, part of our soul energy always remains in the spirit world. Um, so we're going to see them, and and. It's not at all unusual, by the way, if I could just uh, interject here. Please do. The loved ones on the other side to visit us shortly before our death. And there's this uh, incredible uh, research that's been done on these visits that, that can they occur anywhere in the last, you know, you know, several weeks of life all the way to the last several moments of life. And, and these visits are, again, letting, just simply letting us know that um, the loved one is there, the loved one is waiting for us. We don't actually have to die in many cases to have the experience that the loved ones are preparing a place for us. And, and, that, and that when we arrive, love will surround us. So this is just maybe the most important thing that we, that we can say to anyone who's afraid of death, for sure. who's struggling, is all the love you've ever had in your life continues to exist, and you take it right into the afterlife with you, and all the people that you've ever loved are there. They're waiting for you. Many of them are in your soul group. Um, and they not only, in many cases, will greet you, um, but they create a, a, a literally an environment in, in which you are held by love the love of, of the soul, other souls, and also the love of all, all that is of God. That's surrounding you as well. So it, it's the opposite of fear. Uh, 
when we realize that we will always be together, the living and the dead. What a, um, I was just going to say, what a great comfort this is. Uh, I know so many people that are nearly in the area of passing on, uh, and, and if they would have known this, if they were, their coming together would would be so much more helpful in their concerns rather than the fear that I see in their eyes uh, when when I'm with them and that kind of thing. Well, one of the things I wanted to mention uh, also or ask, how, how do you navigate the move about when you're in the afterlife? You ain't got That's no really feet. an interesting process because um, movement in the afterlife is powered by what Jordan just calls intention. If you intend to go in a certain direction, you can only go forward. Uh, you go toward things. You can't go away from things in the afterlife. You move toward things. And the intention to move toward something is what allows your soul to navigate from one place to another. Um, for example, if you if you wanted to visit a certain soul, uh, no matter how you know distant they might be in in the in the afterlife matrix, um, the this, this, this simple intention to go toward that soul, it, your energy begins to move in their direction, and, and each each soul has a unique energy signature. It's, it's sort of like what we might consider an address here on Earth. Each each soul has a unique energy system, uh, signature that is their address, and 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 when and we we can move toward it with the intention of I I am I'm heading toward that unique energy pattern and we will arrive there. Um, and so movement is always toward things. It's always through intention. We don't have to obviously walk. We don't have to uh, uh, move in a physical way. Um, but intention is, is, what, it, it is a limitless supply of energy. It, it, this is one of the things that Jordan says. Intention never runs out. Does, you don't run out of intention. Like, we, we can run out of gas. We can run out of energy on Earth. We can get tired. We can get to the point where it's hard to even get up from the couch. But that, it doesn't work like that in the afterlife. If you, if the mere intention to move or go somewhere or do something creates that. You, you do it. Uh, and you move toward whatever you intend to reach toward. Before your son came to you, what were your beliefs about passing on into the higher dimensions or other dimensions? Before he died, um, maybe in the three or four years before he died, I uh, I read Michael Newton's book, uh, Journey of Souls, and I mm -hmm. you know, learned about... Newton really impressed me because he was a psychologist like I am, and he was a hypnotherapist like, like I am. And um, he had discovered accidentally a way of moving people from a, a, a past life regression where they, they, they explore a, a, a life uh, previous to their present incarnation. And he had found a way to uh, help souls enter the spirit world, what he called the life between lives. He did this with 7,000 people Whoa. before he ever wrote the book. Uh, and so all these people were naive, and yet... These 7,000 people described uh, uh, with great similarity all the elements in the spirit world uh, uh, that um, 
all these common elements in the spirit world. So it was kind of amazing. I read the book. I was kind of blown away. And then I learned how to do that hip, that kind of hypnosis where, the, where you can help people get into the spirit world. And I got to you know witness people and hear their descriptions of the spirit world as they as they entered it and what they saw there. It was very beautiful. Uh, Ralph actually did it. Ralph Messner actually did it with me, where I I was he, he hypnotized me and I could enter the spirit world and see it. But I could also visit with Jordan in the in the spirit world, uh, which I've also done with other people, where I where we'll use that hypnotic hypnotic process. It's called you know uh, regression, uh, and they can go to the spirit world and visit loved ones there uh, in their soul group and actually have a communication and conversation. So I was interested in this beforehand. And I, it's kind of the paradox is I remember talking to Jordan about it, and he was like, Dad, this is, that's nonsense. What are you talking about? <laughs> You've gone off the rails. Uh, and, um, and so I, I, I was interested. I heard people describe the spirit world, and yet I wasn't sure. I didn't have any, any clarity or, or certainty about it. I was fascinated um, but after Jordan died and I started having the experience of communicating with him via channeling and channeled writing, um, and he started describing the spirit world in much more detail than anything I'd ever learned from Newton, uh, it was a very profound experience. I felt like I, he had, he'd opened a door that uh, I had no right to go through, and yet there it was. He, he, I, any question I asked virtually, he was willing to answer. And uh, so it was a very beautiful experience, and it, and it made me feel very close to him. It, it, does, it does to this moment. It makes me feel mm-hmm. very close to him. Of course. Wow. Uh, all he shared with me. But also it, it makes me feel like there's a purpose to our lives together. Absolutely. Uh, and that purpose is to help others uh, learn about the afterlife and learn about the purpose of life here on Earth and, and to overcome their fear. And I, I feel like he's... he's joined with me and and um in trying to make that happen for others what a team you guys are do you mind if i call you a team not at all i i feel that way i feel like he's joined me in some uh, experience that i could never have thought possible uh if you if you told me 15 years ago this was going to happen i would have said you know you're completely wrong you're you're making this up, but it has happened, uh, and it's um, in, in history. Great. I mean, I will tell you one. If you, if you have a minute, I'll tell you. Oh, well, we got plenty I've done of time. Some other past life regressions in which Jordan was in the past life. In one particular past life, we were in a um, uh, we were in a rabbinical school together, and, and um, we. Uh, uh, so he was an older rabbi, and I was a, sort of a mentee. And and when he died in that life, I was communicating with him in that life, and he was telling me a lot of stuff that you know that uh, that we got wrong in oh. in, 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 in our in our in the things that we learned in in that uh, particular school. And um, and so I got in a lot of trouble by <laughs> providing all this information uh, to the, to the other rabbis who didn't want it and didn't believe it and and thought I was I was nuts uh, to be communicating with Jordan. So we got to do this all over again in this life, um, but this time doing it in a way that hopefully others can benefit from and and learn uh, 
some of these deep truths that Jordan has to offer. And there are a lot of deep truths here. Uh, oh, we got to take a break. That's one of the deep truths. Is <laughs> always taking a break at the right time. Rules and regulations, 506 of the Penal Code. And if you break them, you're in trouble. But we're not breaking it, so we're not in trouble with Dr. Matthew. And... Uh, book, of course, is you better buy it or else you're going to get in trouble. The Luminous Landscape of the Afterlife, Park Street Press. And go get a haircut at the same time. This is Dr. Alan Hamilton, the author of The Scapel and the Soul, and you're listening to 21st Century Radio with Dr. Bob Hieronymus, one of the great programs in my mind that is offering innovation in this century. Thank you. Let's get right back to our guest. And Dr. Matt, uh, what and how do we learn in the spirit world? Well, one of the things that we learn in the spirit world is um, we get skills training for our spiritual careers. You know, we, we incarnate over many, many lifetimes. We learn a lot from incarnating into the spirit world, and, uh, sorry, into the physical worlds, um, but that's not all we're learning. Um, each soul, over time, is developing a spiritual career, and there are all kinds of spiritual careers. But you know, there are things like, um, you know, uh, let's see, you know, you know, learning how to be a guide, learning how to uh, actually create um, matter and and merge matter and energy. Mm-hmm. Um, learning how to be a healer. Oh. Learning how to remodel energy and, 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 and change soul energy in ways that, that are healing and um, uh, help souls recover from uh, difficult lifetimes. Uh, so there are all these spiritual careers that uh, we embark on, and you know we, we, we can choose the ones that we're drawn to, just like we choose uh, have opportunities to choose careers on Earth. Uh, we can do the same thing, and so over over many uh, time is different in the spirit world, obviously. But over over time, as we experience it in spirit, we are learning these new careers. That you know, for example, Jordan is learning to be a guide. Um, he's learning how to help and communicate to people who are incarnate uh, help, to help them navigate and move through their lives, uh, and he's learning how to communicate to them. Um, Wow. And implant ideas, uh, dreams, and other kinds of experiences mm, mm. to help them uh, kind of see a way forward when they're struggling. So, again, there are these spiritual careers. So that, that's a, another big area of learning that we do uh, in the spirit world. So is there really any reason to fear death? There's... The answer is ultimately no, and Jordan talks about death as the, the dark door, uh, and of course because we can't see beyond it, um, although you can, and anyone in your audience can if they begin to do channel communication with loved ones on the other side, uh, anyone can start to see beyond the dark door, uh, but because for the most part we we don't know what's there, we're, we're not, uh, we, we have amnesia, we show up in these incarnations with complete amnesia. We don't remember our past lives. We don't remember our life in spirit. Uh, and so, and we have this, this feeling of aloneness 
uh, and separation, uh, which is which is not real. We really are connected always, uh, but we aren't. We don't recognize that. So it's it's this is this is a hard place. Uh, it sure and, is. In fact, the Earth is is well known in the spirit world as one of the most difficult places to incarnate. It's it's a it's a very tough school to come to, uh, but we do come here, and we learn, uh, and 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 also paradoxically, all of this amnesia is necessary in order to learn. If we didn't take this place seriously, if we just came here and said, "Oh yeah, well, I know," uh, you know, I've had. You know, 200 past lives. I've had a lot of experiences. I know what the spirit world is. I know what death is. Uh, I'm I'm totally um, you know comfortable with that we wouldn't take seriously all of the challenges that the physical world presents. So mm-hmm. so it's important for us to forget in order to learn. Yeah, um, I see. But that th- now. there's nothing to fear other than it. You know, the transition is sometimes on a physical level. It it, it can be somewhat painful. Um, but ultimately, there's nothing to be afraid of because Jordan says it's it's just a doorway. It's just a way of getting from here to there, and uh, and when we get there, it's a very beautiful and provo- profoundly loving place. There's nothing to be afraid of once we arrive. Well, in the time that we have left, which is not as much as I would like, can you talk about the life-changing meditations authored by Jordan? such as I am meditations to connect to all life, purpose, etc. Yeah, Jordan has, uh, you know, there, he's in the book, he's created meditations to, to prepare us for different aspects of death. Uh, I told you that one a little bit while ago about breathing in love and breathing out fear. Um, he has another meditation that just starts with just remembering particular elements of your own life, uh, just getting in touch with your own particular, just random bits and pieces of your history. It doesn't even matter what exactly you think about. Just you know, let yourself be aware of your your particular life, your you know, little moments in your own individual history, and then uh, you start to expand your awareness and 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 begin to be aware that. You know, you are an individual with this particular history, but you also begin to see yourself as a point of light. You see yourself as a point of light among many other points of light, um, and that all of you are together. Each point of life, light is joined, experiencing that as, as being joined by love. And, and the I am meditation is simply saying I am, and, and as you repeat that that sense of I am with that sense of being joined to all these other points of light, you, you, you can have this merging experience where you can feel that beginning of connection to all, the connection to everything. Uh, it's a beautiful little meditation. And, um, and so, and it's just another way to prepare for, for the wonders of the afterlife because, because joining and merging with all is one of the most incredible and profound things a soul can do, mm-hmm. and we can do it when we want to do it. It's not like you know some privilege that's bestowed on us, and uh, you know if we get a certain number of brownie points, suddenly you know we're we're allowed to merge with all. It's something that we can do when we're ready, and it's our own decision. So it's a very beautiful experience, and we can ha- have a little bit of it here with a meditation that I am meditation, the 
Jordan talks about. Well, let's recap in the little time we got. This book was created to offer four things every soul needs. Can you discuss them, please? Well, the, the first thing is just to know why we're here. Um, you know, and we're, we, we come to these planets incarnate into physical worlds to learn, to grow, to evolve and develop as individual souls, and then take everything we learn and give it to all. Uh, and, and it's a very beautiful and sacred process, uh, even though it involves lots of pain and, the, and, the, and the, much of our learning is learned through the, the lens of, of pain. Still, pain isn't a sign of failure. Pain is a sign of learning. It is how we learn. And so pain is not something to run from. Pain is something to learn from. And, um, and so that, that's you know, one of the first things I think that's really important um, to be clear about. And for sure, um, yeah. If you know why you're here, that makes a big difference in your life. The second thing is to know that death doesn't sever or, or stop or change anything. We said this a little bit while ago that we are always together, the living and the dead, um, and and to know that um, the relationships and the love that we have is eternal; those will never end, and death doesn't end them. It doesn't stop uh, those relationships. In fact, uh, we can continue to have very deep deep connections to souls on the other side. Uh, they're just, as we said a little earlier, just, they're just a thought away. And the thought opens the channel. And once the channel is open, we can communicate as much as we want and that anyone can learn how to channel and connect to those on the other side. Um, and that and the other thing that's important to know is that the afterlife uh, is a place where we will be cared for, will be received, will be cared for, will be loved. Jordan says in his words, he says, the dark door will open and the light of love will take us in, take you in. Those are, and those are very meaningful words to me, that the dark door will open and the light of love will take you in. And that we can trust that, the deep truth of that. And, and, that, and that how we... And the thing that gets us through that dark door uh, with, a, with a minimum of, of struggle and, and disruption is preparing with love. Preparing with preparing love. With love. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so if we keep those things in mind. Um, we are, you know, the, the afterlife is just, a, is just a, a more, another place of learning, but a place where we're profoundly connected and, and where love is eternally surrounding and bathing us. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very beautiful place. And um, it's not a place to fear. It's a place um, to rejoice when we finally arrive there. Then also to know how to navigate without a body. That's right. Um, we, as, as we talked about, we, we arrive there with no nervous system and uh, our, we, 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 we have the appearance of legs, but they aren't. They aren't. They don't. We don't walk. Um, we don't move in the ways that we move on Earth. And, and we talked a little bit about moving with intention, moving toward things. 
and learning how to navigate by, by intending to move towards something. And what we learn to move toward is love. If you arrive in the afterlife and you are able to hear love and listen to love and, and see love, you will unerringly move toward what most matters. You will be safe. You will be cared for. There's, there is nothing to fear if you can hear and see love. Good. Now, to know our work in the spirit world, uh, and by the way, um, did we leave anything out so far? We only have a couple minutes left. I just want to make sure that if there's anything you want to make sure you, to tell us before this our wonderful interview is over. Well, people sometimes ask, well, how do we choose these lives? that we get into here. Yeah, how do you do it? And, um, and in the spirit world, one of the, one of the things that's very important is that we um, engage in a process of, of selecting the next life. We're offered a number of choices, ranging from a life that may have you know, relatively few challenges to a life that may be very challenging uh, and, and in some cases quite painful. Uh, and... And we're offered a place in history and a place uh, in a, a particular family, a particular time, and a, t- a particular environment, uh, and a particular set of challenges. And we, and we can choose among some of these lives that are offered. Uh, uh, we can incarnate to any point in history. You know, you could, you could, you could be incarnating now and do you have your next life as, as, as in Rome uh, and, and in the Roman Empire. I mean, you can literally move around in points of history, but, but souls tend to... To, to incarnate sequentially. The main thing about selecting uh, a life is is to, is to not have too much hubris. To select a life that you can you can manage. That you're not going to be overwhelmed by the demands of that body or the particular challenges or circumstances of that uh, family or or environment. Uh, but souls do get to choose, uh, and they um, and and what they choose is part of their lesson plan. Uh, the next life they enter is part of is, offers karmic challenges and continues lessons that, that that are unfinished from the last life. So we could just continue moving from life to life, learning new lessons, finishing old lessons, resolving conflicts, uh, learning crucial uh, skills that we are embarking on. So it's a it's an endless pro. I mean, it's not endless, but it's a process that goes on over many lifetimes. They're often very challenging. They're often very difficult. But the pain is not is not something to be afraid of. The pain. And just as you said, it's endless. Well, <laughs> we've come to the end. This is one of the most important uh, interviews we've ever done. Thank you very much for joining us. Here we are at the close of the hour, and we invite you again to follow 21st Century Radio on Facebook and continue the discussion. <laughs>